The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. I've been speaking this week about very difficult things. I don't want you to grow discouraged. I want rather to help point the way for what I want, and I believe what you most want, along with me, is more of Jesus, the fullness of all he has to give us. I've turned my back on this world. I've turned my back on the flesh and the devil. I don't want the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want the tree of life, and Jesus is that tree of life. But there is a transition that must be made, and that transition can be exceedingly difficult and painful if we're going to truly enter into Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening because today is going to be about what the what the work is that we must be engaged in now in second peter the second chapter and the third chapter it is largely warnings against false prophets and false pastors false teachers who introduce destructive heresies Destructive heresies like eternal security. Destructive heresies like you can continue to walk in sin and you'll still be saved. And they take a few precious scriptures and they twist them for their own purpose, for their own wickedness. Anything to avoid the crucifixion of the human heart. Anything to be able to maintain my arrogant, hard-edged theology and life, to allow me to enjoy the world, to be a part with it, and yet to claim I'm saved and on my way to heaven. And if you read carefully the second and third chapters, you'll find, along with the book of Jude, you'll find these lies will lead us straight into hell. But that's not my focus today. We will come back next week and we'll deal again with Second Peter. But today, I want to look carefully 
at what the scriptures say is necessary if we're going to enter into life, if we're going to have that incredible oneness with Jesus Christ. For that's where my heart longs. That's what I'm crying out to Jesus about. Oh, yes, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've learned that that's not how he comes. He is a gift given by Jesus. Jesus is everything to me. He is my breath, my life. But there is a necessary dying on my part that I must go through. I want to read for you just a very brief passage from a new book that Brother Ed gave to me, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles. It's written by Frank Bartleman, who was a a wonderful man of God, along with his precious wife. I want to read for you a part of his description of what must happen. These words are loaded And then we'll go to the scripture and I'll show you the same thing out of the word of God. I'm going to read for you from page 115. He writes, My mind has always been very active. In natural working, this has caused me most of my trouble in my Christian experience casting down reasonings, as it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Nothing hinders faith and the operation of the Spirit as much as the self-assertiveness of the human spirit. The wisdom, strength, and self-sufficiency of the human mind This must all be crucified. And here is where the fight comes in. We must utterly abandon. We must become utterly undone and insufficient and helpless in our own consciousness, thoroughly humbled, before we can receive this possession of the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit But the fact is, he wants to possess us. Now, I've always had a very strong self-assertiveness in my human spirit. Operating in my own wisdom and my own strength, my own self-sufficiency. This is what must be crucified. Many times in my past, I have seen what appeared to me to be an opportunity for greater service or a relationship that I desired or a way to be prospered and the self-assertiveness of my human spirit would rise up and I would reach out and grab what I thought I wanted. And every time it ended in the withdrawal of the presence of God from my heart. 
and it ended up with my being crushed. Now, a part of what I have struggled with in my life is that on one side, I've been a very pleasing person. I was recognized early on as a pleaser. But I would always say, on the outside, I'm I'm velvet. But on the inside, I'm iron. So in my life, many times, people have come into my life thinking that they can change my course of direction, thinking that I could be molded by them to be what they wanted me to be. This is especially true in the work of pastoral work, where strong people come in, assertive people come in, and they see what they want, and they think the pastor is a pushover because he's very pleasant and pleasing, and yet they would push so far, and then they would hit the iron because I was going to do it my way. Now, first, I recognize that I was wrong to be pleasing in nature, and I've had to repent of my pleasing nature. Today, I'm no longer a pleasing person. The Lord said to me many years ago, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge with new and sharp teeth. And I said to the Lord, Lord, please, I don't want to be a threshing sledge. I want to I want to be loved and respected by people. Nonetheless, the Lord stripped that pleasing nature away from me. Oh, I'm still kind. I'm still merciful. But I'm not pleasing. I'm going to speak the truth in love. That's why now I sometimes refer to myself as the pastor of Reelsville. I'm going to talk about the real deal. Now, because of this pleasing nature, some people have walked with me for quite some time. And then they have seen something in my personal life or they have seen something in my ministry that they feels that they feel needs to be altered and changed in order to, for me to become much more successful. And of course, they couched it in Pastor, you want to reach more people, then you're going to have to change and stop talking about this. You've got to be positive. You've got to be supportive. You've got to be loving. You can't confront sin this way. Or they would see some aspect of my life that they did not like that I was walking in the word of God to me. And they tried to tell me I was wrong. And they walked with me quite some time because of the pleasing side. But finally, it dawned on them that as pleasing as I had been with them, I was not going to change. And then they left and cut me off. Well, frankly, a pleasing nature, soft on the outside and iron inside, is a dishonest position to take. People need to know right up front, this is what I stand for. This is who I am. 
I'm not going to compromise it. If that displeases you, you need to find out sooner than later, and you need to be moving on to find someone you can shape in your own image. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. He's the one who holds my heart in his hands. And he's the one who is disciplining me. So on one side, I was very pleasing. But on the other side, I was very self-assertive, reaching out for those opportunities. One professor and president of the college that I attended, I became very close with. And he said to me, Ray, you're a very insinuative man. Well, I didn't know what that word meant, so I had to go look it up. And insinuative means you know, you know how to work your way in and get close to someone so that you can get your way with them. Well, I didn't like that. I don't want to be an insinuative man. I want to be an honest man. And so that self-assertiveness arises. And I've had to ask Jesus to totally break both the pleasing nature and the insinuative nature of self-assertiveness around who I want to be. You know what? I want what Jesus wants. Bartleman, in another part of the book, writes about how men will gather together great heaps of branches. And it seems that everyone believes that the man who can heap the largest pile of branches together is the winner. But he said, no, the man who can pile the highest pile of branches in that megachurch That's not the winner. The winner is the man who can set those branches ablaze, who possesses the fire of God. And when the spark of God hits, when the flame of fire hits, that pile goes up in a blaze that lights the way for many others. Well, I'm not interested in stacking together a pile of branches so that people will look at me and say, hey, Pastor Ray is something. That's not what I want anymore. It was at one time, I confess honestly. I was very much oriented for much of my life to be successful, to do something that would gain recognition and allow me to minister in my assertiveness. That's all gone. I'm no longer interested in that. I'm no longer interested in piling up a pile of dead branches. And frankly, as I pastored in a church many years ago of just over 3,000 people, I was not the senior pastor. I was an associate pastor. But as I would preach there, I recognized that it was a dead church filled with legalism, filled with a spirit of religion, cold-hearted, unloving. And I would cry out to God and say, Oh God, 
This is ugly. Many years before my father had visited that church, that very same church, my dad was a a country man, a lay pastor. When he came home, I said, Daddy, how was it at that big church? And he answered, Raymond, I had to put on my ice skates and put on my overcoat just to make it down the aisle. It was as cold, as cold, as cold as any winter has ever been. There was no presence of God in that church. I testify, I pastored there. There was no presence of God in that church. There was just a lot of very highly educated, assertive men. The senior pastor, he would get together with us once a week for a pastoral staff meeting. And often the topic was how do we lift up our senior pastor so that he is more esteemed by the congregation. He would, he was a very able preacher in terms of words and phrases. But the church thoughtful, godly people who were the remnant in that church would say, Yes, the pastor preached today, but it was like a cannon going off and a pea coming out and rolling down the aisle. There was no real content that drew our hearts to Jesus. I recognized that early, but I did not turn from that assertiveness. I went on to pastor my own very large congregation. Oh, my brother, my sister, I don't want to talk about me but you hear what I'm saying to you. There must come a place where we are totally emptied of self. I want to read for you again this passage. My mind has always been very active. Its natural workings has caused me most of my trouble in my Christian experience. Casting down reasonings, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Nothing hinders faith and the operation of the Spirit so much as the self-assertiveness of the human spirit, the wisdom, strength, and self-sufficiency of the human mind. This must all be crucified. And here is where the fight comes in. We must become utterly undone, insufficient, and helpless in our own consciousness, thoroughly humbled, before we can receive this possession of the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Ghost, but the fact is he's wanting to possess us. That's from Frank Bartleman, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles. Well, I want to look with you at a passage of Scripture today that we've looked at in the past, but I specifically want to address some of the key questions. I want to just begin in 
and read for you. Prayerfully listen. I'm not reading this for you for intellectual knowledge. You already have that. I'm sharing this with you for a much deeper reason. Romans, the sixth chapter. (coughs) Pardon me. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, let's talk about this. It's very clear that I can read this passage where it says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We can dress up the flesh in a new way. We can quit smoking. We can can do some self-improvement exercises. That's not the new life Paul is speaking about in Romans 6. The word new here in the Greek is meaning totally new, something that never existed before. Now, if you're buried with Jesus in baptism into death in order that you may be raised to life, you literally are going to have to utterly give yourself into the hands of God. That self-assertive spirit, that pleasing nature, that holding back in fear and anxiety. They're just two sides of the same coin of flesh. On one side, you have confidence, self-assurance, wisdom. I'm, I'm doing this. I know how to do it. Just get out of my way. And on the other side, you have the retreating, shy, depressed, anxious, fearful. It's the same coin of the devil's kingdom. Neither side will produce life. And either side will bring death to you. There is a new life that God is calling for us to live. And that new life will mean that we will not go on sinning. We will walk free of all sin. We will not be consumed with sin. 
Now, let me read another part. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we also certainly will be united with him in his resurrection. Most people who call themselves Christians have never entered into that resurrection. I've not entered fully into that resurrection yet either. And that is the great cry of my heart today that I could enter fully into the resurrection of Jesus. I want, I want all of Jesus that I can have. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. In the Greek, it's not done away with. In the Greek word, it is destroyed. Utterly destroyed. Annihilated. No longer present in our lives. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, let me be very frank with you and very honest. Crucifixion is exceedingly unpopular. People don't volunteer to be crucified. Dying is hard enough. Crucifixion is altogether another thing. And crucifixion, the death of crucifixion, takes some time. Physically, crucifixion may take some people a week to die. Now, Jesus died much more quickly because he did not have that strong, assertive spirit. He simply gave up his ghost, his spirit, to God. The thieves, on the other hand, on his right and on his left, were still alive on that Sabbath eve. And the the priests went to Pilate and asked, that their legs be broken. Why? Well, with their legs broken, they could not push themselves up to get a breath of air. It was an exceedingly cruel blow to each knee to shatter that kneecap and that joint so that it had no power to sustain any of their weight. Death on the cross was caused by great trauma. But it also it also was asphyxiation. The loss of the ability to gain any oxygen because hanging by the hands without being able to push up to free the diaphragm to get air, that person would be asphyxiated. Yes, the loss of blood, all of the trauma, the beatings, the 
the painful, painful death of crucifixion is horrendous. Every nerve tingling, screaming, agony. Well, let me be very honest with you. Everything in your mind and your heart will cry out, you must not let this opportunity go by. You must reach out and you must grab it. You must be assertive. You must put that person in their place. You must compete with others and win over them. You must seduce those you desire friendship with. You must be pleasing and assertive. That's how I was trained to be. Pleasing but assertive. When you consider giving up your assertiveness, your mind says then you will lose everything and you'll have nothing. You can't trust God to step in and provide for you. You can't trust God to give you a job. You can't trust God to give you a a wife or a husband. You can't trust God to heal your body. You can't trust God. That's the bottom line. God helps those who help themselves. So be assertive, go out there, and get what you want and what you need in your life. And if you don't do that, you're going to be nothing. I know. Oh, my brother, my sister. Isaiah 50 is right. If you go out lighting your own torches, you will lie down in misery. Crucifixion, in spiritual terms, means I deliberately give up my assertive nature. It means I deliberately surrender my pride. Pride in what I've done. Pride in what I can do. Pride in the person I am and the and the place of respect that I hold. Some listeners who I became close with, two brothers, you either conformed to what they wanted you to be, or they would cast you off and call you garbage. They cast me off and called me garbage. It's okay. I'm not upset with them. I have forgiven them, and I pray for them, and I ask God to richly bless them. I'm telling you, though, when you take a position where you give up control and assertiveness, and you give up in your heart, the desire to be successful. When you stop maintaining that you are right and that anyone who disagrees with you is wrong, sometimes people will write messages to me. 
trying to correct me and they'll use the scriptures. It's okay. I'm not going to argue with them. But they have revealed the condition of their own heart as they set about to set a brother right, to correct him. It's okay. My place is to pray for them. My place is to cry out to the Lord and entrust my heart with Jesus, not with the approval of men or denominations or churches. I want the approval of Jesus in my heart and in my life. Now, there is a a very prideful, hard edge that we must be very cautious of. This is particularly true of we who are pastors. We have to lead the flock. We have to be strong. It's foolishness. Jesus is the head of the church. And you know what? When Jesus comes again, he's not going to come for a thousand different churches. He's going to come for one body, one body who has finally come into accord with his spirit. A body filled with compassion and love. A body controlled by the movings of the Holy Spirit. Not a body who's in competition. Not a body who is arrogant and proud and hard-edged. Not a body that is legalistic, demanding that everyone conform to their beliefs and to their way of operating. I was raised in a church. I won't name it. But they, they always said, we have the truth. And if anyone disagrees with us, they're hellbound. We know we hold the truth. Well, it turned out, as I read the scriptures, I discovered they didn't know the truth. They'd been deceived by forefathers. But they were unable to humble themselves. They were unable to simply search the scriptures and find their place in the family of God. See, God does have a family. And it's not divided into sectarian organizations. And it's not divided by competition. It's not divided with with programs and with institutional standings. No, it's a body. Yesterday I spoke about the doom that is coming on America. And one dear sister wrote a note to me. And she said, yes, America is doomed. But God will have a remnant. (coughs) Pardon me. God will have a remnant. It's that remnant I'm speaking about today with great courage and with, with great love. God will have a remnant. I want to be a part of that remnant people 
who stand for Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, who are who are walking in love and compassion, not judging, not cutting others off, not not being hard-edged, not being self-righteous. This is very important to me. Please forgive me for speaking so much today about my own experience. But I know in my walk with Jesus, he's revealed to me that he wants me to have a gentle spirit, a compassionate heart, to not be self-assertive, to not push myself forward, but to wait on the Lord, to not reach out and grab what I want, what I think I have to have, but to wait on the Lord. To let Jesus have his way in the very minute details of my life. Jesus is my supply and source. He is my happiness, my love. He is my money, my food, my drink. He is my place of dwelling. He is this studio. I would have nothing if it were not for him. I have no furniture in my house that belongs to me. He ordered it and he paid for it. I want Jesus. Do you do you catch this today? I don't want what I want in my natural man. The natural man has to be totally crucified with Jesus. It must be dead. It must be gone. It must be over. Pastor, if I walk that way, I'm going to lose everything. Jesus said, what what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I don't want to lose my soul. I can't be bought by the devil or the institutional church. I can't be bought. I've already been bought by Jesus. He paid for it with his blood. I rejoice in Jesus. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves, inventory yourselves, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, how is this accomplished? For me, and I believe for you, this can only be accomplished in the prayer closet. This can only be accomplished, this transformation, this crucifixion, must take place as we are before Jesus. As we meditate upon him, as we fast, and we pray the Holy Spirit begins to deal with that self-assertiveness. He begins to deal with the hard-edged pride. And when we give him permission, he breaks it. And he takes it from us. We put our faith and our confidence in Jesus. Souls must be saved and the lost must be changed. That can only happen by a man or woman who knows how to pray. And many of you today have never prayed through. You've never paid the price of laying down your life in the prayer closet. And I'm telling you, if you don't lay your life down in the prayer closet, you'll never lay your life down. And you will end up being outside of the kingdom of God. For that self-assertive, arrogant, proud nature can only be broken by the presence of God as we find him in the prayer closet. It won't happen by human strategies. It won't happen by human effort. It is a free gift of Almighty God. It's Jesus who must crucify us. I can't crucify myself. I can only come and offer myself for crucifixion. Jesus did not crucify himself. He was crucified. And I must come and offer myself. But you must place yourself in places where you can pray. You must place yourself in a church where there is a constant call to pray and a constant experience of the arrows being shot at you by the pastor and by others who bring you into deep conviction of sin until finally you cry out and say, Oh, God, I can't continue this way. There has to be a change in my heart. You have to come to a place where you're done with sin. You're ashamed of your grasping. Even grasping from God must stop. We don't go into the presence of God and grasp what we want and run with it. That would be the work of a thief. And it would come to nothing. We must give up and surrender ourselves and wait upon Jesus. And he will do the crucifixion. Painful? Yes. 
Take time? Yes. But glory. Hallelujah. Finally being brought into the resurrection of Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Would you share this broadcast with as many people as you can? Would you post a link on your social media sites? This message needs to go out to the church today. It will not be well received, but by the Spirit, it will accomplish its mission and its work because it's come straight from the heart of the Holy Spirit. I don't come on this broadcast and speak out of my own heart. I come and speak to you out of the Holy Spirit as he has taught me. I take you as far as I've gone. I hope it's been helpful to you. I'd love to hear from you. And you're welcome to come to the National Prayer Chapel. If you want Jesus, if you want this life of crucifixion, and then the glory of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate there. You can listen to this broadcast again. And you'll find there all of the information you need to come and worship with us. We're a small house church, but we're learning to pray. We're learning to wait on God. And God is doing a marvelous work as he's beginning to awaken us. So come and visit us. We meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We finish about noon, and then we have a wonderful lunch together. If you're hungry for fellowship in Jesus, then drive whatever distance you have to drive, but come and be a part with us. It will not be easy. It will be real. And it will be Jesus. Almighty God, I pray for each person who's listened to this broadcast, and I pray that the mighty power of the Holy Spirit will flow now and deal with the heart of every person. I pray that you will bring us into oneness with yourself, Jesus. For I know the brothers and sisters who listen to this broadcast, they want more of you, Jesus. They want to walk clean before you, Jesus. They want to be filled by your presence and by your spirit. Lord, I pray for those who are listening, who are sick, who are suffering in pain. I rebuke that sickness now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that pain now in the name of Jesus. And I ask for the healing of your Holy Spirit to go forth over this congregation listening to Pilgrim's Progress. 
and I ask that you would demonstrate your power in such a manner that their hearts will be broken and humbled before you, and they will say, I must get to Jesus. Lord, I know right now your spirit is moving. I sense your moving power. I know you're alive in this broadcast and in this studio. And I pray, Lord, you will go forth now in great power to minister to those who are listening, who are lifting their hands up before your throne. And Lord, those who have hard, cynical, bitter hearts, or those who are fearful and depressed and scared, Lord, would you go forth with healing in your wings for them? Would you minister to them now in the name of Jesus? Lord Jesus, come forth with power. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We invite you to come. You'll find a phone number on the webpage. And thank you, each one of you who has been giving in this last week. Gloria, I always praise God when I see your name pop up. And others of you, thank you. I praise God for you. You are a part of the battle with me for Washington, D.C. and this nation. I love you. God bless you.